Welcome to Regeneration. Good morning. We are in 1 Peter, and I'm going to do a really quick recap of last week because it was Labor Day weekend. So I just wanted to catch some people up, and it's going to be short. It's not a long recap. But before I do that, let me pray for us. Father, we come before you, opening up your holy word once again, hoping to glean your wisdom and your instruction for our lives. And I pray, Lord, that it is more than just information that we are accumulating, but it is knowledge that is transformative, that has us to be different people, changed people, because your presence is in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we looked at this phrase, grow up into salvation, from verse 2, and we looked at how this growth begins, and we see this from verse 3, that it begins by tasting that the Lord is good. And we read there that it says, if indeed, which means it's conditional, that you, it's individual, it's personal, it's direct, have tasted, that you've experienced it for yourself that the Lord is good. And what have we tasted that the Lord is good? And so we looked at 1 Peter for the four reasons, the four tastes that we've experienced. One, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that we've spiritually been born again. The second one, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, salvation of our souls. The third one, found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, redemption by Jesus. And then lastly, an active belief unto God, which is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. We went on to talk about how tasting that the Lord is good saves our souls, saves our lives, that we are born again, there is salvation for our souls, we are redeemed by Jesus, that tasting that the Lord is good transforms our lives, that we are actively believing into God. And while some of the experiences we have with God are private and they're secret, some of those experiences are also happening in the context of community. When we share Jesus with those who do not have a relationship with him, when we confess our sins one to another and pray for one another, that's just that quick recap of last week. I told you it wasn't going to be long and we're done. Now, it's not a complete recap of that service, but it's one that's going to help us set the tone for today's verses. And some of you may be asking, how so? Well, in today's verses, we'll look deeper into how our experiences of becoming a follower of Jesus affects our lives, not just personally, but also in community, because Peter writes about how the purpose of the church is to be and what the character of the church is to be. Now, there is some confusion as to what the church is. In just uh, going out and, and talking to people, you'll notice that in our speech, we say things like, have you gone to church today? Or do you go to church? And oftentimes, it's tied to a locale or a building or a structure. And I think there are many of us who know that the church is not the building, but we continue to purport that misunderstanding in our speech. And this misunderstanding is out in the world because people who don't have a relationship with God associate church with a location or a building. Because when they say, where do you go to church? They're like, oh, by the lake, 3rd Avenue, East 15th. Like, and we say things like this. Well, Peter this morning is going to help us to repurpose, to recharacterize church without even mentioning the word church. And he's not talking about going to church. He's talking about being the church. And he uses a stone or stones as a metaphor. Verse 4, 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Now before we get into this metaphor of stones, there's this important phrase that starts out verse 4, and it's this. As you come to him. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 40, You refuse to come to me that you may have life. How many of you refuse to come to Jesus? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you are carrying heavy burdens and you're weary? And Jesus says to you, Come. Come to him. And when you come to Jesus, stick around. Right? Stay a while. Stay long enough to taste Verse 3, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, says the psalmist in Psalm 34, verse 8. So that you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. So when you come to him, stick around, right? Stay a while. And many people back in Jesus' day when he was walking on this earth, they went to Jesus, they came to Jesus, but then they left. They didn't stick around. They just came to see miracles or they came to get fed or they came to hear a teaching, much like a lot of different reasons as to why people come to church today. Just coming for peripheral stuff, right? Coming for food, coming for relationships, coming for all these different types of things, for the music, for the teaching, whatever it may be. But it's not coming for Jesus himself. Who are you coming here to meet? And if you're single, I, I understand I understand why you're here. And it works, okay? I mean, there's, there's quite a few testimonies here that it works. But hopefully, primarily, it's to encounter Jesus. That's the primary reason. Now, back to stones. Peter brought some cultural relevance to the people listening to his words here because folks back then, they were really familiar with historical figures being memorialized, commemorated in stone. So statues were made to commemorate people, gods, events, and buildings were constructed in honor of people or gods or things that happened or ideas. And so you can go to many museums today. One of the greatest ones is in Britain, right? The one where they steal all the stuff. But anyway, you can go to those museums and some of these works have been preserved for centuries. For centuries. And here, Peter flips this idea of memorialization through dead stones, and he tells the people about Jesus who is the living stone, that he's not dead, he's not a memory, he's not to be memorialized, he's not distant, he's alive, and it all made sense at Jesus' resurrection. Everything the prophets wrote about and spoke about came into focus. That puzzle we talked about weeks ago came to fruition, came to completion. And prior to Jesus' resurrection, where do we find his disciples? They're hiding. They're totally freaked out. Right? John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. These guys were freaked out. Hiding. And these are the same guys who lived with Jesus for three solid years who witnessed all the miracles that Jesus did and learned from Jesus himself sitting at his feet. But here they are behind locked doors, hiding because their leader, Jesus, was crucified and dead. And if we were in their shoes, we'd be the same thing. We'd be scared too, right? Wouldn't you? They just 
beat Jesus up bloody and bruised, and then they took him and they nailed him on the cross, and they left him there and they killed him. The guy that you saw miracles with, that fed thousands, that walked on water, that healed paralytics and withered hands and did all this type of stuff, but now these guys killed him? What if that happens to us as followers, right? And you're thinking, what if that happens to us? And so this fear is important to keep in mind because how did the disciples transform from these fearful, hiding people to this very bold, very public people that we see in Acts chapter 2? How did that happen? And this is a really important question when people are saying, oh, Christianity is false. Well, how do you explain this transformation from fearful and hiding to bold and out in public? Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. These are the people in the Jerusalem streets, way out in public, where the people there are the ones that said, crucify him instead of Barabbas. Same people that he's addressing. And Peter went out from not being able to reply to a junior high girl in Caiaphas's court, and now he's out here in the middle of Jerusalem, fearless, addressing all these people, here denying Jesus three times, right? Can't stand up to pre-adolescent girls, which I know is a really, really tough thing, but still, he couldn't do it. To saying this in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, all you guys that killed my Savior, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Then Peter went on to say, Acts chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And then check out this pretty awesome claim. I, I like this one. This is probably my favorite. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He got really bold. Those rulers are the ones that put the Savior on the cross. And he's calling them out. Ignorant. Ignorant. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What is the explanation of Peter's change from fear and hiding to boldness and courage? What can possibly be the answer? The resurrected Jesus. That's it. How else can you explain this? If there was no resurrected Jesus, how is that transformation even possible? He would have just stayed frightened and in hiding. It's the resurrected Jesus. He is the living stone. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus, the living stone, chosen and precious. It was in the Trinity's plan all along that Jesus would be the chosen one. Chosen one. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And even though chosen by God and rejected by men, rejected as a savior by the Jews over 2,000 years ago, still rejected by people today. 
even with the thousands of prophecies that have fulfilled in the Bible about world events, about all these things, and the hundreds of prophecies fulfilled just about Jesus, and we have all this historical evidence in the Bible, all the archaeological evidence in the Bible, all of the different evidences that are prophecies or that are in the Bible, still rejected. People still rejected. And there's not even one mistake. That's crazy. That's crazy. How can people deny it? How can people reject it? And it's precious. Jesus, Son of God. When Bruce was talking about his son and how he couldn't imagine sending his son to suffer and to die, and for myself, having children, any one of you with children, understand how precious they are to you. You do anything for them. Anything. And here, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Precious. Verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus, the living stone who transforms our lives, and then Jesus builds us up into his church. He brings us together. Right? And all of us who were once without God, without hope, without forgiveness, without mercy, we were in this darkness. And when Jesus became our living cornerstone, he brought us into his spiritual house to be living stones, to have a relationship with him, to have a relationship with one another. And when you hear people who say that, you know, my faith is my own and I don't need the church and I don't need that stuff and they're not in community, you really need to be careful of them because there's no such thing as a Christian who's not being built up in God's spiritual house. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about us as living stones that we're just all part of one another. And we have to have this relationship with him. We have to have this relationship with each other. All Christians are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. We are connected, all of us, to the cornerstone, Jesus. And we're all connected to one another, right? There's no gaps in the building. We're all connected. And so the church is not this building, you guys are the living stones of this church. You guys are the church. And it's timely that I bring this up because we're actually prayerfully considering the purchase of the physical buildings of the church. Right? This campus, the parking lot, the buildings across the street, all this stuff, we're in the process of praying about this. But I need you to know this, that we are already his church without this stuff. We are his church. This is not his church. And so Jesus purchased his church, us, with his blood. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the cornerstone, and not on buildings and facilities. We're going to give you guys an update really soon about the elder board's decision. We just need to put some finishing touches on our due diligence. But just remember that we are already the church. The people here, the living stones here. It's not this building. We are already the church. And what ultimately brings people to fellowship with believers is not this building. It's the people in this building. 
And if you do come for this building, you can come any other time during the week. Like, I'll open it up for you. You can be here. But people come on Sunday. And it's because of you. It's because of the people. And when we get together, what are we to be? Verse 5. To be a holy priesthood. Now, in the Jewish mindset, the holy priesthood was only for a select group of people with special privileges to fellowship, to interact, to worship God. And it was this special group of folks who served God in this special way, bringing the people to God, who had special access to God. And here, Peter is saying, that's not anymore. No more. Right here and now, we're all part of the holy priesthood, all of us. We're all part of the holy priesthood. We are all part of that special group. We all have access to God. It's not something just for priests to enjoy anymore. We all have backstage passes now. Right? We all, we all get to go. Right? That veil that was torn, we all get to go back there. It's good. And you don't have to wear bells on your feet or anything. Only Christians understand that joke. And every believer is their own priest to God. Right? There's no mediator that's needed anymore except for Jesus, our high priest, But other than Jesus, we have direct access to God. You can pray directly to God. And having this privilege doesn't mean that you just kind of chill out and you just kind of, yeah, good, we're we're in. What are we to do? In verse 5, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what are those spiritual sacrifices? We could take a look at Psalm chapter 51, verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. This is the psalmist talking to God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What is another spiritual sacrifice? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we see that the spiritual sacrifices are coming to him with a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart and offering our praises to God to do good and to share what we have. And as we offer these spiritual sacrifices, God builds his spiritual house. As we are all doing our part as living stones, God is building us up together. And you can't serve as a priest on your own doesn't work that way. We have to serve in community. Jesus is doing this work in us together. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. See, Peter himself is going back to Old Testament Scripture. He's showing that this prophecy is in Jesus, right? So Peter quotes Old Testament Scripture here. He quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And as the prophet Isaiah wrote those words to instruct the people that God has a solid foundation for your lives, a stone, a solid foundation in contrast to a weak foundation. So Peter applied Isaiah's teaching directly to Jesus the Savior, that Jesus is the solid foundation for our lives. And only with him is there's this dependable, firm, 
unwavering foundation that anything can be built on him and it will last. Behold, I am laying in Zion. Now, who's the one laying anything in Zion? God. Meaning, this is God's work. This is God's work. God is providing the solid foundation for our lives. Because you and I all know we're imperfect. We make mistakes. We're sinful. But God, God lays the solid foundation. And Isaiah goes on to talk about the cornerstone chosen and precious. The same words that Peter used when he was writing his letter. And when constructing a building, the cornerstone provides the angles and the lines for the construction. And so when the cornerstone is straight and solid, all the rest of the geometry and the architecture of the building line up in reference to the cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. And so we can build our entire lives on him knowing he's not going to lead us astray or kind of like go this way or that way, knowing that he is solid and true. Your life personally and the church universally is built upon Jesus. Now, who wrote all of this? Isaiah and Peter. Peter was the only one to get it right when Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's the only one that replied in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And continuing on in those verses, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And Peter just wrote all of this for us. Jesus called Peter the rock. But Peter is saying, but the real rock star is Jesus. Right? Like, that's my nickname. But he's the cornerstone. Right? He's the cornerstone. According to Peter himself, he's the cornerstone. Yet we have some confusion in the church as to who the rock is that Jesus' church is built upon. And Peter did not himself claim to be the rock. He points to Jesus as the cornerstone. Because it's not like Peter became sinless after Jesus' resurrection. Peter still had some imperfections going on. It wasn't like, oh, Peter's imperfections were only before the resurrection, when he chopped off Malchus' ear, when he sank in the water, when he was saying all these things, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That was all before. No, he had some problems after. He did. I'll show you one. Paul confronted Peter about his sin of not completely receiving Gentile Christians into the church without placing them under Mosaic law. Some people would say that this is racism. Whatever it is, it's sin. I need to point something out to you. I find this kind of fascinating. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11-14, Paul wrote this. But when Cephas... You know who Cephas is? That's Peter, but do you know what it means? Cephas means the rock in Aramaic. And so he's pointing this out and he said, when Cephas, it's the counterpart for the Greek word Petros, Peter, what we call Peter. And so Jesus gave this nickname to Peter in John chapter 1 verse 42. He said, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. 
which means Peter. And continuing on in Galatians 2, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, Mr. Encourager himself turned, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? See, Paul got in his face. See, Peter's not blameless. Peter continued to sin. Peter continued to have problems after Jesus' resurrection. Peter knew who the church was built upon. It's Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. It's not built on Peter. It's not built on anybody else. It is not built on anything else. Jesus is the exclusive cornerstone of our faith. Verse 7 of 1 Peter. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Here, Peter quoted Psalms chapter 118, verse 22. He purposefully goes back to the Old Testament again and again, pointing to Jesus as the cornerstone. And I want to point out a key word in verses 6 and 7, and it's this word, believe. Believe. Not that Jesus was just a historical figure but that he's the cornerstone to whom our lives can be built upon and to believe in. To believe what Jesus said about himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when he himself quoted from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, verse 1, and here it is, the story in Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Here's Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Back to Luke. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? You see, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was the living cornerstone for their lives to be built upon. And so the question for us this morning is, do we believe that he is indeed the living cornerstone? That we are not like those in the synagogue that heard Jesus recite Isaiah 61:1, but they still didn't believe him. But to come to him, verse 4, to come to him, to believe in him, verses 6 and 7, and to commune with him and taste that he is indeed good. Verse 3. Verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, the stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter continues to quote purposely from the Old Testament, and this time it's Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. And the interpretation is this. For those who trust in Jesus... He is their sanctuary. 
He is their refuge. But for those who don't trust in Jesus, he's your stumbling block. He's your stone of stumbling. He is your rock of offense. And instead of finding refuge from God, you will stumble and you will fall to your destruction. So you either find a precious refuge in Jesus or you stumble into destruction. Jesus is totally for you. He wants to save you. He wants you to believe. Why? Because there are serious ramifications for falling, for stumbling. There's this righteous judgment. And we must not think that God's grace will always be there for us because none of us knows how long we're going to be here. See, this morning, you're not here by accident. God loves you. There are some people here that I know that have some really crazy circumstances as to how they ended up in this church in Oakland right now. God loves you. And he wants for you to believe so that he can save you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Your opportunity of salvation is now. It's today. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 19. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If there is any inkling right now, today, to believe and to follow Jesus, do it. Follow that belief. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And once you have come into belief, you realize this. Verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen race. See, this relationship was once exclusive to the Israelites. It's now open to all Christians. A royal priesthood. Right? Previously, Peter wrote a holy priesthood. But here there's this additional distinction to the priesthood. He puts in before their royal. Royal. The offices of royalty and the offices of priesthood. Those are two distinctive things in Israel. But here, because of Jesus, we have both. Because he is both king and he is both high priest. We have both. We have a royal priesthood. And now we have both of those things. Royalty and priesthood. A holy nation. We're set apart, holy, set apart, belonging to God, a people for his own possession. This is pointing out that we're his heirs, right? We have an inheritance that we are destined to possess the kingdom. And so when you come out of darkness and, and into the light, some really great things happen. Verse 10, 
once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we didn't have those privileges before. And we weren't God's people before. But now it's all changed. We are God's people. We have received His privileges. We didn't belong before, but now we do. Now the reason for the privilege is not so that we can be proud and that we can just kind of bask in them. But it has to affect the way that we live, which we're going to talk about next week. But for today, I need to start bringing this to a close. God is way into bioengineering and biomechanics. I don't know if you understand this or not. He loves this stuff. He created this stuff. He uses people as living stones. Bioengineering at its greatest. and That's awesome. And he places himself as the living cornerstone. So the question for us to think about personally is whether you truly believe in Jesus this morning or are you stumbling over him? See, there's no gray area with Jesus. There isn't. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever is not with me is against me. So if you practice silence or inactivity or passivity or indecision, you're against God. You can't sit idle. Jesus invites you to come to him this morning. And as we come to Jesus, we come to realize how precious Jesus is. The living stone who once was rejected has now been inviting us to be living stones, to be built up as a spiritual house. He wants you to be a part of that. He doesn't want to cast you away and not be part of the spiritual house. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those who do not have a relationship with you, that today is their day of salvation. And Lord, if today they have heard you, I pray that their hearts are not hardened towards you. I ask, God, that they would receive you, that they would believe, that they would come to you. And so if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, I want to invite you to stay for a while. That you didn't come just to build friendships or to listen to music or that you're here because someone forced you to be here but that you stick around and you get to taste that the Lord is indeed good. And if that is you, I want to invite you to make that proclamation and just simply raise your hand. And I want to pray for you and I want to answer any questions that you may have. And if that's you, today is your day of salvation. And do not harden your heart towards him.